Welcome to a new episode of the James Kennedy Podcast. How the hell are you guys doing? There's been a brief disturbance in the force this past week because I've been a little bit late getting these episodes out because I have been finishing my book. I know I've been talking about this thing for fucking ages now, but um, the bad boy is done. I bring good news. The thing is finally done. Man, I'm so chuffed. It's been sent, submitted, signed, sealed, and delivered to the publishers. It is done, baby. And I'm really chuffed with how it's turned out. I mean, it's it's turned into a very different book from what it started out as. Um, there's loads of stuff in there to do with... Well, I'm not going to even tell you. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to wait and see. And you know what? I'm not even going to moan about the journey of writing the thing because I've done that too many times now. To this episode, I'm just going to get straight down to business and bring on the guest. This week, it's a music industry special. As you know, this podcast tends to fluctuate between my connection to the music industry and life as a musician, and also my personal interests in politics and philosophy and science and health and all that good stuff. This week, we got a deep dive into the music industry, and we've got the best man to give us the lowdown of what we got to do as musicians to navigate the murky underbelly of the music industry in 2024. If you're in a band, if you're a musician, or you've got some independent releases coming up, or you're trying to get signed, or you're trying to book some shows, you don't know what the best thing to do for your career is at this point, listen on, because I got the man with the answers. Because we are joined today by the one and only Mr. Andy Farrow. For the past 30 years, Andy has been a record label owner, artist, manager, music publisher, tour booker, and much, much more that we're going to get into. He is the top dog at the mighty Northern Music Company, who currently represent the awesome Opeth and Devin Townsend, amongst tons of others. This man knows his stuff, and I'm super excited to pick his brains on your behalf about a whole range of topics. Let's get down to it and welcome him onto the show. Mr. Andy Farrow, sir, thank you so much for doing this, man. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay, thanks. Good to, uh, to speak with you. Oh, it's good to have you with us, man. We appreciate it. Um, f- to start with, I mean, obviously, I've been in bands and stuff for 20 years. I mean, I, you yeah. know, <laughs> me and anyone like me knows exactly all about who Mr. Andy Farrow is. But for those listeners who don't, um, could you give us a brief background on, you know, who you are, what you do, what you've done, and what's going on? Yeah. So uh, I have a holding company called Northern Music Group, which is encompasses a management company, Northern Music Co., uh, record company, Graphite Records, publishing company, AMF Music, booking agency, NMC Live, merch company, O-Merch that I co-own with OPEF. So I've been kind of managing bands professionally for, well, since 1988. Wow. First band I got a major deal with Warners for prior to that was kind of involved with the anarcho-punk scene. So over the years as managing bands, I've kind of learned every aspect of the business and then opportunities came along to, you know, have a record label. So I had a band on V2 and they were like, oh, you're Mr. Rock. Do you want to have a record label? So I said, yeah. Uh, with publishing, I was managing Ocean Size. I got them a big orange mobile phone advert and Cobalt again said, do you Mr. Rock? Do you want a publishing company? So. Kind of moving along and then, you know, obviously prior to the pandemic, it became pretty evident that live was the big earner. And um, so I thought, you know, looking at booking agencies, much easier making money booking and managing bands. So set up the booking agency and with the merch, again, OPEF, massive merchandising bands. So we thought we would... With the sales they do, we will be able to get the scope to get good prices. So, you know, set up a kind of, well, management, so artist own company. And, uh, you know, that, that's done pretty well. So it's not a 360 company where you have to sign to everything. It just means that 
if, for example, you know, I publish you and I can't get your record deal, I might better put the record out. So you can tap into to whatever you want to use, really. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the term 360 has a different connotation these days, doesn't it, with a certain type of record deal, but that's not what you're doing over there. You've just got a massive kind of umbrella operation that kind of houses all of these different elements that people can tap into if they want to. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a one-stop shop if you want it, or yeah. you can just go into sections. But, you know, I will say, actually, releasing records, whilst I do fight labels and really push them, you know, releasing records is definitely a tough thing. The amount of work that goes into it, really, for what you get back or what you have to go through, especially if you're still doing physical, it's... it's uh, yeah. Well, you've been sort of in the game now during the great change of the music industry. So you, you, were, you were kicking it in the old world and now you're still kicking it in the new world. What's your yeah. thoughts on the transition? Is it better now for bands or labels? Is it, is it harder or is it just different? Well, I think uh, for labels, labels are making money, huge amount of money on catalogs. So firstly, it was a case of when the CD came in, you know, the Beatles and Pink Floyd, oh, let's issue it on CD. So with all the new formats, so record labels making more majors, this is more money than ever before, and this is mainly down to catalogue. You right. know, remember that, was it, 98% or 98.5% of bands that sign fail or they don't recoup or they drop. So very much about catalogue. As far as for bands, I personally think, you know, when the internet came along and it was all like, file sharing and stuff and people worrying about bootlegging but you know to be honest i think it's easier for bands now to establish an audience because people have got access to the music when i started you would buy a magazine and read about a band and then you go to the shop and buy it you already had a view about what they sounded like whereas it's very accessible now the only thing is that now there's not the gatekeepers anybody can put stuff out so there's there's so much music and then there's a situation of younger people, do they actually want to pay for music? If you talk to young kids, they're like, well, you know, they expect it for nothing. And even, you know, having a publishing company sometimes with soundtracks, they say, oh, well, we haven't got much money. It's as though music doesn't matter. You know, everything's spent on the other side. Uh, so overall for me, uh, you know, different kind of deals. You know, I I, I I think it's good now in right. the kind of deals that I've got for my bands where they're licensed deals and they get their masters back is good for them. And, you know, even when you talk about streaming, yes, streaming is not good when you've got record label distribute, everybody taking cuts. But, you know, when you go direct to the market, if you've got your catalog coming back, you can earn a lot of money streaming 100 percent. i mean admittedly spotify could pay more but you know the reality is <laughs> releasing records doing physical getting returns declining retail is difficult so the thing with streaming is that you can reach an audience i mean it's all kind of controlled but it's yeah i mean i i'd say that deals these days are better in the 60s you know they had life of copyright publishing deals so i think deal wise are better for bands i mean obviously they don't achieve the huge sales they used to but i do think if, you, if you're clever or you've got a manager who knows what you're doing you can certainly make as much money 
Yeah, I, I think the capacity is there. I mean, I'm an independent artist. I've been, my first album came out when I was, uh, it was 2002. Um, I yeah. did it, played everything, produced it myself, um, put it out and um, yeah, did quite well with that one. Um, so I just kind of followed that model really. But that was kind of before Facebook. I mean, it was kind of before the great transition really. It was just kind of starting. Yeah. So um, it was all I've ever known and I've kind of stuck with it ever since really i'm i set up my own publishing um company just to represent my own catalog which is now sub-published by you mentioned cobalt uh, sub-published by those yeah. guys um but in terms of making and distributing the record i've kind of experimented with all the things that have come and gone over the years and it's kind of all i know now so it's interesting when i speak to people with experience from the other side of the industry the more traditional um way mm. of releasing things i suppose it kind of sounds like a foreign world to me because i'm a big yeah. evangelist as an independent artist who as exactly as you said you know through covid i was making a few hundred bucks a month from spotify which is not ed sheeran yeah. money but it's more than yeah. i was making selling fucking cds you know so um yeah, yeah. so i think there is a lot to say for the new model for people who are sort of willing and able to to sort of delve into managing those aspects of it themselves but the hardest thing i think is being heard above the noise which is what you alluded to with is so much yeah, yeah. fucking stuff now how does anyone with a deal or without get heard above the noise you know but i mean you know yeah the, i mean before before social media and, and self-distribution that wasn't even an option so i think it probably is better now well you know i mean i think in the rock metal world it's always about touring and building a fan base right you know because you get limited radio and tv and even when you're looking at streaming you know within that genre it's still very behind pop and hip-hop so you know when you're talking about Again, you know, going back DIY, I do believe in record labels because I think the problem when you do it yourself is you, you haven't got a marketing reach. You know, for example, in Germany, if you don't advertise in a magazine, they won't cover you. Right. That is how it works. Now, the reality is when I started, press was very, very important. And, you know, you would fly journalists all over the place. Does having a good review or an advert sell records these days? Not totally, but, you know, it can give you the hype and everything. So I think, uh, you know, that whole DIY model, yeah, you can get to market, but there is, it's about what you're willing to give up. So if you went to a record label and you said, all right, you'll do a license deal, means you get the master back. Because sometimes the amount of money they give you, you might have spent more on the master. And there are also acts when you, you just mentioned Spotify versus physical who do vinyl and they could sell 2000 vinyl direct to their fan and make enough money to, to live on that way. But that is looking at the model as just earning money. I think, you know, if you really want a career, you have to look internationally. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of acts that have kind of, only sold in one country and might have been big in that country and being dropped because the amount that's been spent on them, they, they, they need a bigger audience, international audience. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I've certainly felt that myself. I mean, I'm able to make and put the record out, which is fucking amazing. Couldn't have done that in the 70s, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, touring, putting on your own tours and stuff like that, that's, you know, it, it, very, very, very difficult if you're just doing it yourself. You don't have the infrastructure or the know-how or the contacts or anything like that. And, um, and yes, yeah, scalability is so hard as well. I mean, you're essentially, by relying on getting picked up by a playlist or an algorithm or something, you're essentially just rolling the dice and hoping for the best, you know, rather than 
building a tangible long-term related like career for yourself with a manager or a label or something like that so i, I mean i've had a few um people on the podcast like simon raymond was on from bella union yeah. and uh, brian slagle from metal blade and they all said yeah it's great that you can start yourself off as an independent artist that way but in order to think long term and build something you need you still need the industry so it's kind of an interesting yeah. merging now of the two models i think oh definitely i mean you know you've had a lot of labels doing artist services and with some of my bigger acts we were offered these deals and i did say to one of them well what about me and they were like well we'll give you x amount of money this is a massive job for a manager so if you do a label services deal you really need to be with the right kind of artist that is very business-like as well because some acts that I deal with are kind of, they still want the mysteriousness and so they don't embrace digital assets and being available. So, yeah, you know, again, as a musician or an artist, I think it's important to have an understanding about how to sell yourself because I do tell acts, no matter how good your album is, it will not sell itself. Mm these days yeah and you know you need to promote and i mean there's countless releases i mean you know i'm signed up with the official charts company so i can see what every band has sold and when you cut all the hype away they can have Kerrang covers etc and you know the sales are small yeah yeah because the other thing is it's again you know even when you're in the system if you've not got a manager fighting the labels are putting so much out that some of them are, you know, they go through the system, they go out. But also running a label, I know how difficult it is. Right. When you've done loads of work and you're like, well, we sell 450 albums, physical. And for the amount of effort that goes in, that's not very much. But if you set up things like pre-orders, direct-to-consumer campaigns, doing in-stores, all that, there are ways that you can get your sales up right but i don't find a lot of labels do a lot of those things i mean obviously earache did it with, with skin dread where they do the in-stores but then you've got clashes with promoters who don't like underplays yeah so it's like a constant thing the whole chicken and the egg it used to be released a record then you go on tour now if i want to get a band in charts i released a record i tour that week I use Lightning Strike app for on-the-road sales, doing stores, got your pre-orders. But the whole model has changed. And when people say, well, what does it mean with a chart position? But it does give you a bit of hype with the internet. You know, you yeah. can say you're number one in Finland. It's only 1,500 sales, but it's still number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, mental, isn't it, that you can have 1,500 sales and be number one now, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... You know, if I was looking at the charts today, I mean, take that, well, you know, six figures at number one. I haven't seen a band, you know, and this is the midweek, a band, you know, you can go top 10 at sort of six, 7,000 in the right month. Yeah. So, 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 so it's changed, you know, it has changed a lot, the, 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 the actual figures of, of what acts sell. Well, you said it's not all about the money, and, and it's a great point because it's not, is it? I mean, if any of us were doing this for the money, we probably would have given up a long time ago, especially yeah. musicians, you know what I mean? But I mean, in this day and age where we're mostly funding things independently by ourselves, you know, these yeah. aspects, you know, the commerciality and the hype factor and all that sort of stuff, anything that does shift units does make a difference because, you know, we, we do need to fucking eat, like, and we do need to keep the show on the road, and that costs a lot of money, you know? Yeah, but, 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 but you know, one side you know when you're an artist you have to look at your income stream so you know early bands like when i when i took over paradise lost 
they're on a small independent label and you know roadrunner wanted to sign the band but roadrunner wanted merchandise and publishing for a small advance so we didn't go for that so with music for nations they didn't want publishing and merch so i did separate publishing and merch deals and that gave enough money for the band we set up a company and then they have a salary so it's about looking at income streams which is where certain record companies that are offering deals where they wanted to control web stores and things like that it's very tough so what they're doing is you know in the old days people would sign on get doll and they go on tour and somebody <laughs> would say oh you're, you're in kerrang this week we're not giving you the doll but you know it, you've got to allow a band the freedom to become a business to sustain themselves because if they have to work they can't tour if they're not available they can't do promo and it, where if a label or somebody comes in and squeezes all of those areas then they don't you know get it i mean it's like you know when you look at publishing if it, a songwriter should be in prs bands don't fill out the prs live income sheets they're losing loads of money you know there's stuff you can do you know the other thing is knowing your market t-shirts all that sort of thing and you know looking at yourself like a cottage industry so it's important that the labels don't try and get it i understand when they used to give bands tour support that they want to earn on some other things but i think if they're not actively bringing something to the table why should why should they control it 100 percent. and do you feel the power of social media has waned i personally feel that i think there was a kind of gold rush period where how many followers you had was a kind of a metric as to how well you were doing and then well, people started buying followers and buying comments and doing you know and all this bullshit well, 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 well there is that but i can say as a manager when somebody is wants a support slot I, you know, I'm, you can tell my age then because I look at Facebook, whereas new bands, they go, oh, what's your fan? Oh, no, no, we're just on Insta. You know? <laughs> and then it's like, they're so cool. There's just pictures. There's not even music there. That's <laughs> I'm like, right, okay, that's the picture. Um, so, no, I still think people look at analytics where um, – so, so when you know about social media, but you know, so maybe people might start looking at Spotify streams. But what I see in the metal rock area, certainly with bands I publish, some of them have got tiny streams, but they pull a load of t- tickets, and and, right. and and they they also sell a lot of t-shirts. Right. So, social media is still there, but obviously the new thing now is TikTok. So I think like major labels are looking at catalog and looking at things that are reacting to TikTok and working in the rock metal area we're very behind on tiktok and it's about how you tap into that but what i have seen having a publishing company is all of a sudden some act i publish is you know hardly earns anything and then because something's happened on tiktok it's generated so 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 i think you know things move as i said facebook then it was instagram you know twitter i didn't fully get myself but it is I think, yeah, people still look at it because you want to see, in the old days, you would just blag somebody and say, yeah, we can bring 20 people. Right, right, right. Data is there now. You know, I can look up record sales in America here, you know, ticket sales you can get. And 
Yeah, the art of the blag is gone now because the data's. <laughs> well, that's good to know because social media is rife with it. You, you you see a band that you've never heard of, and you're like, man, how the fuck are these guys got two million followers? I've never heard of them. And then you're like, you know, you look at the engagements and it all you know, the, the comments and all clearly paid for. You know, it's the same comment over and over again. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I've seen, I've, I've seen, yeah, bands where I've been like, oh, that is huge. You know, kind of extreme bands. But you know, what I would like to do is. If I could tap into market the way that other co- other businesses do, you know, on social media, where you might have been looking at something and then you know it really is like they're listening yes. to you, and then you, you with all these things and you haven't even bought something and then they're still going coming back yep. and yep. that kind of thing. So I mean, it's yeah. I think the thing also with social media, you know, with Facebook, you only reach X amount of percentage of people. Which, you know, again, when it comes to marketing, certainly from a live point of view, if you've got a 40 plus audience, I would push you to get a promoter to, you know, look at posters, look at flyers, not just rely with online because there are some people that don't live on their phones yeah, or on yeah. computers that are doing manual jobs and are out and about or whatever. And, you know, sometimes uh, that again is about knowing your audience and how to engage with them and aggregate them. Well, I learned a very important lesson in the lockdown when I released my album. I've spoken about this in the podcast before. Uh, the album Make Anger Great Again. It came out a month before Trump yeah, was going for a second yeah. election. And I thought I was being very satirical and clever, you know, by releasing a political kind of punk rock album yeah. uh, that was hijacking the uh, the Make America Great Again sort of slogan because uh, it was kind of like the opposite yeah. messaging to that. You know, it was all about rising up against the power, you know, against the system and stuff. And I felt like I had everything in place because for a few years prior to that, I'd just been building up my social media following exclusively because I'm yeah. 100% independent. So I don't have access to the editors of all the big mags and stuff like that. So I, so I threw all my eggs into the social media basket, I had everything lined up. My audience was great. They're very engaged and supportive. I'd done several successful crowdfunding campaigns and everything. It was all going great. So everything was lined up, ready for this album to come out. And then, mm. um, one day after the first video came out, YouTube took it down because they said it was politically insightful. Yeah, yeah. Facebook um, revoked my advertising rights so I couldn't do any boosted posts or ads or anything like that because for the same reasons, they said it was politically insightful. I was demonetized on Twitter, um, Facebook, and yeah. uh, YouTube. And I effectively shadow banned. Like nobody yeah. has seen anything yeah. I've posted on social media ever since then. And that was a massive wake-up call for me because uh, you know I thought I had it going on. But completely unbeknown to myself was that like at any moment in time, you know, by just using social media, someone else can just flick the off switch and it's game yeah. over for you, which they did with me, yeah. you know, or an algorithm can get your hashtag mixed up with the far right. And then, you know, they're going to yeah. just make sure that you just get back page and no one sees anything you post ever again, which is where I've been. So, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned that like, you know, you don't really have control over ultimately who gets to see your stuff on those platforms. And, and, and also you don't own own any of it you know like all those contacts i only have access to through those platforms which i now no longer do you know yeah you don't own it but you know one thing that you know people are doing now that was done in the old days is mailing lists yes so obviously when gdp came in you know everybody lost a lot of data and stuff but that is starting to come back in marketing right because like you say you've got all these multi-millionaires controlling platforms they can shut you down and you know, depending where you've got your database, you know, I don't know, Google, they could, they, they, they still will have a control. But this is an area that I've seen independent acts, they're releasing themselves that are really engaging with emails instead right. of just ads. Right. And, you know, if you've got your database there, you could say, look, 
you've signed up, so I'm going to let you know early when we're going on tour or we're going to give you a free song. Mm. So you could have done that. Yeah. Did you do that? No. No, I didn't do that. No, I mean, I have got a mailing list of several thousand, um, but I barely use it. Again, because I was I was sticking with what was working. I was thinking, this social media game is yeah, working. Yeah, but, you know, know. The, the, in the old days, we would literally have handwritten lists, you know, with people's details, and then GDP thing came in, and it was very difficult losing a lot. But I just think that that is, again, you can refresh your database. You're not reliant on platforms yeah. changing right. or or whatever they're bringing in, and you've got your people there. And I think, you know, look at artists like Fish. Again, he, you know, from Marillion, he didn't even opt in to have chart-registered albums, and, you know, he sold direct to his fans, right. and that is a way you can engage. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's almost kind of going back to the old school a bit, isn't it? Because I've been considering, actually, yeah. instead of doing Facebook ads and Facebook events, because, no, you know, no one fucking comes to that. They might click on it, but they live in Australia. They're not coming. Um, I've actually started resorting to flyering again, you know, with QR codes in the back yeah. and just, you know, old school, you know. I don't know, Benji from Skintread yeah. always carries flyers on him when he's in the supermarket yeah. and stuff, you know. So I think there is there is definitely still a more of a place for that now, actually, with these. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole flyering I mean, I've always done that with releases where bands have got a strong fan base because they want to be part of the band's success. So you create your own street teams, yeah. which is what labels like Roadrunner used to do. And you just get, uh, yeah, just say, right, can you put them in coffee shops or what have you? And then take a picture and you put them on a guest list or give them a T-shirt. Right. And I think that does work. Definitely. And, you know, a thing that I used to do a lot of was stickers, but, you know, resulted in a few local local councils getting in touch <laughs> about, you know, graffiti and stuff. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, a mixture of, uh, of old school things and modern is, is the way forward. But it really is, as an artist, is to know who your audience mm. is and not oversell, but, you know, give them and keep them engaged, but give them something for being engaged. Right. So it's not like you're selling absolutely everything. Yeah, great point. So, what does a band do then? So, let's say that they, you know, they've got their head switched on. They've got good business acumen, and they they've done an EP. They've done their first release or whatever. You know, they're, they're hitting the local circuit. Um, how does a band go from that level to working with you know Andy Farrow or Northern Music Company or you know a, a label similar to their genre or whatever? How do they go from doing it all in house and you know getting things going, but moving up the ladder then to that next room where they're starting to get some people on board that can actually help them? build and steer a long-term career for themselves well i mean i think the thing is that you know in the old days it was very much there would be buzz on certain bands in areas and record labels would would, would venture out but obviously with the internet now record comp labels are a and r people are just they're seeing what's buzzing on the internet so for example I have my publishing company, AMF Music, so anything that's hot, I move on it. You know, like Green Lung is, is a band I could see there was a very good buzz on them. They're on an underground label, so I met with them. I helped them get five offers. Wow. And, you know, they're selling out. The record charted. Another band, As December Falls, they, I set them up a distro deal. They went to number 11. So, you know, you sometimes i might have a lawyer or somebody approaches me so on the back of some of the bands 
that I publish that I've helped career-wise because I try and be proactive, whether that's getting them gigs, getting them a record deal, because that's what brings in publishing income, you know, whether it's mechanicals or performance income and things. So, you know, it's generally you can see what is happening there or people generally, they, they, they just talk and say, have you heard this? Or for me, it's a case of, so if some managers come to me or bands on publishing or if they come on management and I say, look, I don't want to manage any more bands, but I'll do publishing and give you certain management services. So how do they get on the radar? You know, it's not difficult to find email addresses. you got to understand when I started out, you literally sent a cassette to EMI, EMI Records, Manchester Square, London W1. Yeah. That was it. And then you kind of developed there, you got a name, you know, there was not even mobile phones. I mean, this was just a total different time that, you know, a bit of research to target the correct people. You know, I get people sending me rap and I'm like, well, if you'd have researched or, or, you know, stuff that I wouldn't know anything about. So again, research and look, you know, and I think if you're a band, is maybe look at a band you like and think, oh, that label or that manager or that agent's done well and just do some research. But I, how, how do they do it? I think that they get off their butts, basically, do a bit of research and find people. And, you know, if you believe in yourself, again, it's it's a fine line between badgering people and then knocking on the door and reminding them. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, I've had bands in the past where they might have come to me and I didn't get off my butt to go see them and they've done well. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that's why if there's anything I'm interested in, but again, it's also about, yeah, that fine line between annoying and just saying, oh, have you, have you had a listen yet? Yeah, stuff. yeah. So, no, I, you know, so for me, and so, so, so it like, so, you know, if I get a band for publishing and I'm going to help them get a deal, I just go to all my contacts. And then even if, if nobody bites, I do get irritated and think, right, I'm going to put it out myself right, and show right. you. You know, it was kind of a bit like with Wild Arts, you know, I was managing them and, uh, you know, certain labels turned them down and we got to number one, nine in the charts and I went like that to the label. Oh, I mean, how the fuck could anybody turn the wild hearts down for christ's sake i mean ginger wild Hearts is a fucking genius man um yeah. well that kind of segues into something i wanted to ask you about the subject of luck how important is luck because you mentioned at the start like it was 98.5 percent of bands are not going to recoup they're going to get dropped they're going to get the big deal and then fizzle away and god knows we've seen oh, yeah. tons of them certainly in my lifetime i've seen loads of my friends get signed to major deals get loads of money thrown at them and then the next year they're back fucking you know on the building site or whatever yeah. and i've also got loads of friends who work really really fucking hard they got great fucking music they do all the things that the rule book says you're supposed to do like network and be professional and be nice and turn up and work your ass off they do all that stuff and they got amazing music but they just cannot catch a fucking break so do you think that luck is the is the missing ingredient between the 98.5 percent of people that can't catch a break and you know that 1.5 percent that do and also the ones that manage to, to to actually stay there after catching the lucky break because i think that's another element as well well luck i mean it depends i mean obviously an element of luck in anything but i think it, again timing is important so you know when a new metal scene came along so many people got signed and there were so many ass also runs and then there were bands 
who were lumped in with new metal and they all sound different. You know, the punk days, you know, you, you, you look at what majors signed, they signed loads when you two broke through, everybody was after stuff. So I think the thing is, you've got to, you know, the problem is with the music industry is very conservative, especially in America, because if you don't fit into that square box, you know, the hole, and you're a bit different, it's like, how do they categorize it? Because even radio and everything's like that. And you get the odd band that kind of breaks through by being different, you know, and I always have a situation where bands go, oh, well, we're not editing the song. Tool don't have to. I'm going, well, Tool the Tool, but generally you can't <laughs> see a nine-minute video. Um, so how do you get through? I mean, you know, again, my thing always comes back down to fan base. Because, you know, in the old days, you know, I started out with anarcho-punk stuff and then, you know, bands, New Model Army, Southern Death, got all of these bands had huge fan bases and even Marillion on the product, record labels could not turn them down. So you are proving that people want to see it. You know, it's like I'm the agent, publisher, and record label for a band called Ferocious Dog who right. sold out Rock City, unsigned. That's 1,800, 2,000 people. Yeah. And when it comes to the business, people are, who is this band? And then, you know, I've sold like 9,000 albums here, but it's still probably to the music industry. They might go, oh, no, you know. And again, so my brother's involved with the Levelers, who are another band that built up a massive yeah. following. I know those guys. The business, the business didn't like them. I know you did your thing with Dan, but I'm talking about going back ages ago. They were never the darlings of the enemy, but they got so big. And I was at that Glastonbury with the biggest audience that, you know, the industry can't ignore you. So so if you're saying, yeah, bands, they have good songs and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it's got to be about your team as well. Right. So not just a manager, the age of you, know, you as a band or as a, a writer have really got to play your part. And I do think with the Internet and everything these days, you've got so many tools at your hands, but not all acts use it. But it's yeah. there is an element of luck. The other thing is, yeah, the right place at the right time, you know. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well the levelers are a great example. I mean, I had um Mark Chadwick on the podcast and we were talking about this, you know, about how their journey has unfolded. And they've just always stuck to their guns. They've always been hundred percent authentic to who they are and their message yeah. and their music and they speak to their people and they've not really given a fuck about anything else. They certainly haven't bent over backwards for the industry or cut any corners or tried to change themselves in any way. And I think that is the key to their success, is that authenticity is just speaking to your audience, harnessing your audience and your tribe and just fucking doing it. DIY style which is how yeah. they do it you know and funnily enough their festival Beautiful Days I actually played out with my band um, uh, last August and I think Ferocious Dog were on the bill as well I didn't get to see them I didn't get to see anybody <laughs> I was too busy doing my thing but um, yeah another fucking great band man and I think yeah it, it just speaks to that it, it's another testament to that that spirit of just focus on the fans you know speak to your audience do your thing and, 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 and focus on who's really important which is ultimately your audience yeah, yeah, no. So you know why I'm saying there are acts. You know, you've got acts like Young Blood and stuff that really sort of developed. But you know, I'm just saying if it's like if all else fails and you're not being picked up by the business, he's trying to develop your audience right. and just build a fan yeah. base. So that that's the thing because the business can't ignore you if you have proved your product people want. Because otherwise, you're at the mercy of whoever's trying to sell your product. 
So I think if you actually know who your audience is, then you know you're going to be even in a better position when you sign a record deal right. about how a company with a budget reaches that wider audience and stuff like yeah. that. But, but it's yeah, I mean you know there is there is an element of luck, but. I don't know. It's about getting in the trenches, I think. 100%. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Um, and what do you think about the future then? Because we're sort of on a precipice of an interesting future now with the arrival of AI. Um, I don't think we're as far down that rabbit hole yet as people might be freaking out about, but certainly we're seeing more and more of it now, you know, AI compositions and things. Um, my personal feeling is that the first thing to go is probably going to be sync music because that's kind of easy for a computer to replicate. Um, and then we're probably going to see more and more of it doing production work and studio things and then it i mean eventually if we're going to go full dystopian you know it could actually probably replace you know musicians and singers as well i mean these are a lot of the theories what what are your thoughts on it well i mean to be honest you know i've read about you know when you look at a beatles single that, that that's come around through through the use of ai i mean i have this other app chat whatever it is that you know technically you don't need a lawyer you can just put on that i mean i i, I think that uh, somebody, yeah, I mean, AI should be used for physical type jobs, not creative. Somebody had put, and I don't know, you know, but kids these days are going to have virtual coffees. They're all like playing games or whatever, you know, but I mean, much like bootlegging everything that went back, can you really take away from actually being at a concert, you know? So on that thing, whether AI is used for concerts. You know, it's interesting when you say about syncs. Yeah, because what happens is they don't want to pay the Rolling Stones. So they're like, oh, we want something that sounds like this and people do library music. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. To be honest, having just come through the pandemic, I haven't been focusing, you know, like everything that changed with the music industry. I haven't been getting bogged down in, in AI, but I think that it's much like everything in life some of these advancements are not advancements at all whereas you know we can do this which is great it means i don't need to travel to see you but i think with technological advancement you miss some human it's all about being yeah. human that's yeah. it you know so i haven't thought a lot about it but my my thought is that you know, once the human element goes on things, it changes. And I'm already seeing this post-pandemic, just the way people work and everything now. It's very different. How have you um, seen a change in the industry since the pandemic? Because it's been compounded for us by the fact that we've also had Brexit. Yeah. You know, I did a talk um, in the House of Lords with the Carry On Touring campaign, talking about how it's affected you new know, touring and stuff yeah. like that in Brexit, since Brexit. Um, but it, there, there is that element. We know that it, it's made it difficult for, you know, smaller bands, I think, to tour mm -hmm. with the Carnies and the 90-day rule and all that sort of stuff. But also, yeah, I mean, it's compounded by covid which i think we're still feeling the effects of now in a way the ripples of it what are, what are your thoughts on all well, that i think you know firstly i'm not a fan of remote working i have 12 people some are remote and some aren't i think that what has happened is uh in a lot of businesses including the tax office because they needed to get their money in over the pandemic most people are working at home and i think some things are slow and even with record labels i do zooms 
and people are in their front room or kitchen or wherever they're at. And generally before, say, I would, you know, I'm not based in London, I go down to London, say, oh, I'm in town, do you want to meet? Oh, I don't work that day. And right, yeah, there yeah. is what you call a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday club that happens in the music industry in London. Now, I've never been based in London, so I've always had to travel. Um, and I can understand the expense of London. But what you've got post-pandemic is you've got cities where there's buildings that are empty and the music industry, the film industry, all of this, they used to have big, expensive buildings. Now, if you're Universal or Sony and people have got used to this remote working, plus young people, you know, they expect it. Hybrid working. Duvet days. I shouldn't have said that, but anyway. <laughs> um, so, so, so it's th th there's that move. So personally, I find stuff very slow, but not just the music industry, whether it's the tax office. I mean, we had a situation with a band where during lockdown they sent us our VAT check, repayment check, for quite a large amount of money. Two checks. Obviously, no one was in the office. And we've only, after three years, managed to get that money back off them because Jesus you're ringing Christ. out and everything. So I just find everything's very, very slow now, maybe because it's not the interaction. Right. I love Zoom. So now I don't have to travel to a different country to meet a band and everything. But again, much like the advent of email, most of us do emails. But what happens when you just email them? People can't. They might say, oh, how's he writing to me? You you lose the human element. The thing about actually meeting someone thinking, oh, I get on with this person, and you get a bit more business done. Because I certainly know on email, sometimes I come across as very abrupt. And they might think, <laughs> oh, he's a right twat. But if they mean not, I'm not as bad. So, so you know, it's, it, it's so, so that's the one thing that, that, that post-pandemic, the other thing is what we did to survive since I got all the companies was, you know, live was shut down. We did a lot of streaming stuff, but we focused back on the band's catalogue. And our merch company trebled its turnover because people were wow. home. So, yeah, my only thing post-pandemic is that what I'm worried about is that with technology and stuff, more and more people, there's not that human interaction. And if there's not human interaction, you know, what's going to happen to live eventually is, mm, is everybody right. just going to want to just sit and, you know, as you say, young kids having virtual coffees. As far as Brexit goes, I mean, a huge, you know, I started out when there was carnets. But, you know, the real big problem, especially for UK, is a VAT. And the other thing is that getting a credit card machine for merchandise, one that was legally linked up to a bank was one thing. Now they are, but it's not fully linked because, you know, you're supposed to pay VAT in each country, and then you've got these concessions where they do it. So what's happening is you're playing a concession plus VAT, plus they're taking the local VAT off, and the old days would be on ECC. So in, in Norway, you can look at 46% deduction. So if you are a band trying to sell your music, a CD, it's just not worth it. And that is why, you know, Gajira is a band. There was Everybody said, why a T-shirt's 50 euros? So the other thing with Brexit, as well as the paperwork and making it tough for new bands, the mm. whole VAT in Europe is, is a minefield and you need to be an expert. You know, we've got a merch company and we've got a warehouse in Lithuania, but 
Yeah, look, without going into detail, that the VAT in Europe, and they all have different rates, it's, yeah, I'm not sure anybody knows what's going on in, in the government, really. <laughs> I think that's general across the board, I think, you know, yeah. for, including the customs officials and stuff, in it, with the carnies and yeah. stuff, you know, and, oh, God, yeah, what, what a fucking bullet to shoot ourselves in the feet with, you know what I mean? But, hey, it, it, it's here to stay now, so I guess we've got what we've got, you know. I mean, I did have one of my bands go, oh, well, that's all right, that means we haven't got competition from smaller bands i.e. that they can't, you know, build a career, which was a bit selfish. But then you ha- are having situations where you see bands are just doing mainland Europe and not the UK or one or the other sort of thing. Well, it's not. There's an exemption. If you if you can carry, if you're carrying it, um, then you're fine. You haven't got to have a car or anything like that. So for smaller mm-hmm. bands, you know, especially certainly like acoustic trios and shit, they're fucking fine. You know, they can just yeah. stick their banjo on their back and their snare drum on their chest and they're away. Yeah, but technically, how do small bands survive? Merchandise. Right. You can't just print in the UK and go through with a big duty. That makes sense, yeah. I mean, I, I was there back in the day, and I mean, we got me in Paradise Lost, we got fined in, in Sweden a lot of money and impounded. Well, oh, fuck. Yeah. Many, many, yeah, no, they, they took us and the boss, yeah, it was very heavy. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so, so, you know, again, it's like we try with Norway, and now, you know, Carnets then, the, you know, French and English don't get on brilliantly. <laughs> the French didn't stamp it. You go to Germany, yeah. you come back. And you could lose the money you put down. I mean, I used to do the carne myself and go at Leeds Chamber of Commerce and stuff. But yeah, then there was all that inter-country rivalry. Right, right, right. Bullshit. Well, you mentioned Paradise Lost there. Um, and I, I remember where at the time I can't keep you all day. You mentioned Paradise Lost. Now, I was going to ask you what's coming up at Northern Musical. What have you got coming up? I know Paradise Lost has got the anniversary of the iconic Icon album. What else is happening? Yeah, so I mean, with Icon, it was the 30th anniversary. So that was back when they had a record deal. So a lot of their stuff, EMI onwards, we did license deals where we got masters back and we've seen, you know, how to monetize that. So, you know, the idea was to re-record Icon. Some fans are going, how how can you do that? But, you know, they don't understand the concept of how deals work. And, you know, the band is doing um, a tour but it's kind of unusual venues because because we were already touring in Europe, so we had exclusivity clauses uh, for a lot of mainland Europe. But yeah, so they're doing Shepherd's Bush Empire starting on Friday, which is sold out, and then a kind of hometown gig at Bradford St. George's Hall, 16th of December. So, you know, we're doing that as a DIY release, and the band start right the next record. I've got Devin Townsend Infinity record, remastered, reissued. Catatonia on tour in America. Um, Opeth will be recording a new album in February. So yeah, a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on with releases. The big thing is, you know, when you're as a management company, is planning your time, but also income streams. So next year we will not have as many bands out on the road, and if they're not on the road, that brings in income and merch income. So. Maybe we need to start looking back about anniversaries of albums and then remarketing those albums, bundling with T-shirts, things like that. But it's it's never a quiet moment as such here. 
so interesting man so and, and the fact that you're still fucking crushing it after all these years and after all these changes in the industry i mean are you still um what what keeps you going are you still is it in your blood are you still as passionate about it as ever or is it all you know now and you can't get out you know you or are you still you wake up every day uh, you well know. you know i think i think you know one thing is that I need to learn to put boundaries in on how it affects my life because right. I've, I've given so much to it that it, it sort of became my life. But, you know, I'm kind of, uh, what's the word? I like to have an award. As a, I'm not driven by money, as fuck, but it's about something being successful, like a sold-out gig or going to number one or, or just, just you know, something like that, a kind of recognition thing. It's not, not all about, about the money, but, you know, one thing I – yeah, I'm still passionate for it, but it's kind of so by doing publishing, I'm able to, to give some of the things I can do as a manager, but without having to deal with a musician's head. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Because as a publisher, I'm going, right, I can help you here. But, you know, I've managed various people and, you know, creative people can be irrational and it can be very difficult. You know, and everybody talks about uh musicians mental health they rarely talk about a manager's mental health so oh, yeah. i think it's important to yeah i'm still passionate but you know i need to continually put more boundaries in i think on yeah how far i go with everything amen well well on that note of respecting your boundaries and respecting the kind the, the the time you've very generously given us today to uh enlighten us all thank you so much for doing this man it's been great to meet thank you. you thank you so much for all the advice and wisdom that you've shared with with us all we really appreciate it best wishes with everything coming up next year and yeah we, we'll see you out there kicking ass okay thank you Cheers. thank you man bye-bye bye-bye Andy Farrell, ladies and gentlemen, put it together for him. You can find Andy at northernmusic.co.uk. That's his company. I'm not going to give you his personal socials because in respect of his boundaries, it's none of your fucking business. But you can check out all of the amazing bands he works with at the website. And they are also on Facebook at NMC Limited. So check them out. You can, you can find out who they're working with and what tours they got coming up and what releases are happening and all the exciting shit that's going on over there. So uh, join the pages and uh, get involved and show those guys some love, man. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you're a musician or in a band and you're trying to get out there on a circuit, I hope that was informative because Andy has got just a fucking ton and ton of experience and knowledge and knows what he's talking about. So I hope that'll be a useful chat for you guys in mapping out your next step. And the next step for everyone listening to this right now, please, if you can, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a follow, give us a share, give us a like, give us a subscribe, give us a fucking comment, do whatever you got to do. But uh, it all helps to kick the algorithm's ass into gear and help push this thing out there. And it's also nice to just know that people are enjoying it and give me some feedback. Because as Andy said, we're kind of all a little bit atomized at the moment. You know, I don't engage with anybody when I'm doing these podcasts other than on Zoom. So it's nice to know that someone out there gives a flying fuck. So give us a like, give us a share, give us a subscribe, it all helps to uh you know keep this thing moving i will be back next week with an episode i promise you the times of me taking two or three weeks or longer off in between episodes is now behind us a thing of the past i finished the book it's all about james kennedy and the underdogs new material new gigs new adventures and of course the podcast new guests every single week and boy have i got some great ones in the can already so do subscribe to the podcast they'll be coming back at you thick and fast every week Thanks so much for listening. Have an awesome day. Have an awesome week. And I will see you next time. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Love you loads. Adios.